Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 24 and soon to be up to 28. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool, no? You can shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, amazing. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey, and to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in, and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram at impact.fashion.myc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me. It's rifky, R-I-V-K-Y at impactfashionnyc.com. I know that a wide and diverse range of wonderful people listen to this podcast, and it is for that reason that I generally stay away from topics that are specific to the Orthodox Jewish experience. Yes, the majority of my guests are Orthodox or Jewish in some way. That's more a reflection of the contents of my network than anything else, but I always make sure my guests and I speak fully in English so anyone can follow. Well, today I'm setting that aside, and we are tackling a very important and very Orthodox-specific issue. So here's some background info in case you need it. As a married Orthodox Jewish person, I have two marriage licenses, the one issued to me and my husband by New York State, and a ksuba, the Jewish marriage contract that my husband handed to me under the chuppah. This is how all Orthodox Jewish people get married. And when Orthodox people get divorced, they also need to do it twice, so to speak. Civil divorce papers must be signed, and a get, a Jewish bill of divorce, must be given. I'll admit, it's a bit of an arcane system, but in the same way that a husband gives his wife a ksuba, he must give his wife a get. Similar to a civil divorce, both parties must be in agreement that the marriage is over. But unlike a civil divorce, there is no recourse for a rabbinic court to enforce their rulings. This creates a situation where Jewish divorce proceedings can, in some cases, go on indefinitely. Although this is not the only scenario, the typical way this abuse plays out is with a husband refusing to give his wife a get, leaving her unable to get married according to Jewish law. She is considered an aguna, or a woman chained to a dead marriage. Her only option is to bring awareness to the abusive situation she is in and hope communal pressure and shame force her husband to come around. A quick glossary of other words to know before we dive in. The Shidduch system is the formalized dating system Orthodox Jews use to find their partners. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, the matchmaker scenes are not very far off. It is very common for singles to have a resume that lists the synagogues, schools, and camps they are associated with, as well as references prospective matches can call to learn about the individual they are considering dating. Bastin is a rabbinic court. It's made up of three rabbis. A hasmana is a court summons. It literally translates to invitation, and it is how you call someone to Bastin. A get is a Jewish divorce. A sirav is a document issued by a Bastin to indicate that an individual has refused to comply with Bastin and is in contempt of court. A rav is another word for rabbi. 
Special thanks to Barry Mitzman of the Woman of Valor podcast for connecting me with Nahama. I hope you enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzquiz, and on today's show, I sit down with a woman in the process of trying to get a Jewish divorce. She shares her first impressions of David when they were dating, what happened when she told him she was leaving, the support he's been receiving from his family for the past nine years, and why she believes David needs mental health support and is not acting out of malice. Chances are reasonably high that this is not the first time you've heard the name Nechama Wasserman. In a lot of ways, that name has come to represent an idea and a broken system that urgently needs to be fixed. But Nechama is a full, accomplished woman who deserves to tell her own story in her own words. And I'm truly honored she sat down to talk with me. I think I was very outgoing, very friendly, um, fun, cute, I don't know. You seem all those things now, so that doesn't surprise me. Thank you. I'm a little bit more reserved now. Really? Yeah. So what what kind of things were you into as a kid? What you know, what kind of student were you? It depends. Like I love speaking to people one on one, you know, but like in a in a crowd kind of things was I into? Oh gosh, I don't know. I grew up in the country. Um, we just like played outside a lot. I still love the outdoors. Um I love reading now and I was always just like under my blanket at night with like barely a light killing my eyes like reading mm-hmm. a book at night um yeah what yeah else? I feel you know you and I had a did a little bit of a, a pre-interview before this which is actually unusual I, I usually just like dive right in um, no I literally just met you though like like literally hours ago you hours ago out, yeah. we spoke for maybe 10 minutes and, and here we are, people. And I think, you know, and one of the first things that we said there was like, it's lovely to meet you. And I hate that it's under these circumstances. Um, right now, you are probably, I would say, the a pretty well-known individual. Um, really? due to yes, A couple people may have heard of you. Um, <laughs> due to the situation that you are currently in with your husband. Um you, I'm just for a little bit of background for anyone who's not familiar, is um, you are what is known as an aguna. Um, it literally translates to someone who is chained um, because you are stuck in divorce proceedings with your husband who you have been, um, and you have been in that kind of limbo state for almost a decade. And and he has not given you what is called a get, which is a Jewish divorce. And due to kind of the intricacies and some of the quirks of the system in a lot of ways you are stuck in that situation and recently yeah and actually I haven't gotten a civil divorce either I'm still trying to get a civil divorce as well wow I didn't realize that aspect of this so I want to I want to give you the opportunity to tell your story because I think that what happens a lot when we have these situations particularly when they become as public as yours has become in the last I would say few months um, or maybe even few weeks that there's a there's a person behind all this and there's several people involved you know your kids and and everyone um so start off by telling me what like what was what was dating your I would like to say ex but like the your I guess your husband what was what was dating your husband like what was what was your first impressions of him 
Um, we'll talk about me as a child. I was young. I didn't have a lot of experience. I was in the Chinook system. And I think like looking back, I definitely just like didn't know what a good relationship, what a good marriage looked like. And um, I was very naive and I didn't, um, yeah, like I literally didn't know how to date, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. Was he one of the first guys you went out with? Yeah, he was one of the first guys I went out with. He was very smart. He came from a wealthy family, very learned. Um, You know, I don't know, like I would say like checked all the boxes on paper, you know? What do you mean by that? Like he had gone to the right yeshivas and, you know, was like, just like looking for the same thing. Like, you know how it is when you're in the Shabbat system. It's like, well, do you want to raise this kind of family and live in this place and do this thing? It's like, oh my gosh, looking back now, like it's so bizarre. Um, But yeah, it was just like he had been suggested to me by a big famous shot and Shlamey Lewinstein. And um, yeah, he was nice. He showed up nice, looked nice, and a nice car was sweet, took me to nice places. And I was just like, okay, like, well, you know, I guess, I guess this will do. Like, I, I, like I was saying, like, I literally didn't know what other relationship looked like. And can what you tell, to look for. can you tell me a little bit more about your background that you didn't, you say that you didn't re- know, like, what a good relationship was like? What was your family situation like that you didn't have that? background yeah I, I grew up the oldest of eight children um my father died when I was little we were four kids my mother got remarried had another four kids she ended up getting divorced um a bunch of years later um so it was just I guess you could say you know a blended family a difficult situation um you know she ended up divorced that I guess you could say well I don't even know if it's a blended family but you know half half and um and my mother ended up divorced so it just it, it wasn't a good situation so so you, you don't have this basis of, like you said, like what a relationship should look like. You meet this guy. He seems nice enough. How long did you date before you got married? Probably like 10 or 12 dates. Yeah. Standard, pretty much. Like, yeah. in, yeah. like that sounds kind of scandalous if you don't understand the shit. Some of that's not even so crazy. Um, yeah. So, so you date and you get married. And is it like, is it good for a certain amount of time? I mean, is it, is it not? How does that look? Um, what does that I, marriage look I like? definitely like I already had doubts like from when I was engaged. Um and I just I don't know, it was like at the time it, I thought it was like so crazy to have a broken engagement and I just like flat forward and I was like, Okay, like this is gonna be okay, like he's a good man, like you know, he's kind to sweet, this wonderful family making a big fancy wedding. Um, things will be okay. Um, and it just you know, it was never really okay. But I just, again, I, I was so young, so naive. Like, I don't, I don't give up easily, like clearly. Um, and yeah, and I just kept going, you know, it's like, I, I think like any sort of like mental health journey when like, you know, you have to realize at some point, like, okay, this is not working. Um, you know, I'm going to need to get help. I need to be stronger. I need to be independent, like all, all of those things. And ultimately after three kids in 10 years I was like okay like this is not going to work I'm not going to change this man um you know he's never going to be a good husband a good father to my children like you know I also at some point realized like me staying is not doing my children a favor um it's just you know this, this is not good for them to see um their father treating their mother this way um and even I couldn't even create a healthy home environment with him because um, 
you know, he was just such a difficult person to, to say it nicely. So, so what happens next? You know, you say you're, you're three kids and 10 years in, you've, you know, kind of gone on your own journey to realize that this is not, this is not workable. And it sounds like it was never really good. Um, yeah. And I tried to take him on the journey. Like I tried to get him to get help. You know, I tried to like get him to go for therapy. Like it was just never happening. So then what happens when you tell him that you want to get divorced? Um, so I let him know. I made sure to like speak to rabbis and lawyers and make sure I was like literally dotting my eyes and crossing my teeth and doing everything right. And I let him, you know, and I was told like, you can't just like walk out. You need to let him know. And so I did. And he was just like, okay, like you got to wait for me until I'm ready to let you go. Literally. That's pretty much what he said. Um, and, you know, eventually just, eventually I, I told him, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to prepare meanwhile. And, you know, and I, and I did. And, and eventually I gave it like about three months and then, and then I, I moved out. Um, and I filed for custody at the time because, you know, I, I needed to make it clear from the beginning, like I, I'm going to be moving out with the children and we're going to need to figure this out in court. But a year later we settled um, and I had permission from the rabbis to go to court um, and about a year later we settled um, a custody agreement without child support it was in family court it was very very standard um, you know like every other he still has it now it's still in place to this day like every other weekend um, like whatever half of Yom Tovim vacations uh, week a weeknight visit every week like really standard standard like 50 50 split he has tons of time with the kids I mean I don't think 50 50 is standard you usually want the kids to be living primarily throughout the week with one parent for the well-being I think of your kids that makes that makes sense I wish I should just like do not have 50 50 but it's more like choosing to live with one parent primarily and then every other weekend and maybe one sleepover per week is is pretty much and half of holidays and vacations. I should note that I have absolutely zero experience with divorce on any level. So this will, will probably be the first of many dumb things that I say throughout this conversation. And I'm counting on you to correct me. Because- Whenever I hear like 50, 50, I'm like, that was about the parents, not the kids. It's like, I've seen right. it. People either it's like kids go one week here, one week there. And it's just like, but where do they live? How unsettling. Right. Like, like how, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you don't actually have a, and it's then. like, well, you have two amazing parents and we both need to prove it to everyone. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, here we are. I'm glad, I'm glad there's two amazing parents. <laughs> That's for sure fabulous. I didn't realize that you could work out a custody agreement without having a divorce in place. I didn't realize that those two things are are kind of separate. You definitely could. It was, you know, a poor move on my part. I didn't know at the time really what I was doing. I didn't have the best advice. I didn't have the support system that I have now. Um, and, and definitely I, I was just speaking to a woman, actually, who's going through a pretty difficult divorce. She reached out to me cause she knows what I go through. And, um, I just saw her yesterday and she was like, he's offering me a get, but like nothing else. He wants that I, sh- he's going to take the house and not give me any money and like, give me a divorce, um, and not give me a divorce and no child support, but just to get, I was like. Yeah, I mean, like, it sounds crazy for me to say this to you, but yeah, you need to settle it all at once. Like, that that's not normal. Right. Um, 
so yeah, definitely. That's, that's the best way to do it. I, I was, yeah, I was, I was uneducated at the time. <laughs> yeah. You didn't, you didn't know any better. And, and at this point, based on, I'm guessing you're like around 28, 29 at this point. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. No, I, I, when when you, you first got divorced, I'm saying. Oh, when you first separated. Oh, when I was first separated? No, I was a little older. I was over 30. And and how old were your kids at the time? What were their age ranges? Four, seven, and nine, something like that. So little kids are, are involved. And you work out this custody yeah. agreement. And the idea is that you are going to then work out other, just like the other things that you need to split up in a divorce presumably like after the well okay so so no so actually right when I left also like a few within like you know a week I also there I had been in touch with the rub and I sent out the first Hasmana and um you know it was like Hasmana one two three and then eventually they issued a C-Rub and from nine years ago he just never showed up and then I said to that base I'm like okay now what and they're like, oh, like, we can't really do anything. We have no power. You need to go to a bigger, better basin. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went to our value of Brittany, actually. Um, as you know, what I was told, a community leader. And I was like, um, hey, like, I'm going through this crazy divorce. Like, um, I think I was, like, already two, two and a half years in. And I, I, I had been trying, like, for... After that first um, C-Rub, I had been like going around, speaking to Rabbanim, trying to get in touch with the family, um, you know, trying to negotiate with them, but to no avail. Um, at one point, you know, one of the brothers called me up and he was like, so what do you want? I'm like, what? He's like, what do you want? Like, what What will it take? I'm like, for what? He's like, for you to come back. Like, what do you want? Like, you want a house? You want a million dollars? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'll die alone. Like, I'm not coming back. um and so you know from the beginning they were just like you know have been treating this like it's a joke like it's not real like I'm just trying to make trouble um and then I went to her value Brittany and I was like um here's the family he's like oh I know them they're really difficult people and like good luck with them I'm like okay but like what should I do so he sent me to another basin he's like this person is really good they're stronger like whatever I went to that basin ultimately ended up with the C-Rev after lots of fighting from the family because they called in some family members and they were like, you're supporting him. He has a trust fund. He's living in your house. Like, what are you doing? Lots of arguments. They ultimately issued a C-Rev. Um, and then, and then I like went to another basin. It was just like one after another because then you get a C-Rev and the rabbi, they don't do it. It's not even the rabbis. It's the community. It's us. We don't do anything. We continue to let people into our shuls. And I've had this really big argument over the years where it's just like he said, she said, where um, David gets a trust fund from his family, has always been living in a, in a home owned by his family members, um, has always had lots of money for different attorneys. Um, I never get a diamond child support. I was asked by the family at one point to pull up my child support case that I had many years ago. Um, and they would like help me with a get and exchange. They never did that. Um, and, and it's just been like, they're always, every time, like I rabbi call them, they're just like threatening lawsuits. And so I've always had this thing, like, um, they're helping him. And so it's like, okay, so what are we going to do about it? Well, could we ask them not to come to our schools? No, that's not really fair. We don't really know if they're helping them or not. I'm like, 
can't you see like he has so much money like they're ignoring my calls like nothing I don't get anything like my kids don't get invited to some class and it's just like no we don't really know we can't really say we can't really do that it's not really fair and so you just have this you know roundabout crazy way where this man is living comfortably being assisted by his family um you know from what I can see and um and our community is not holding them accountable at all and you know when people approach them they're just like well we've done everything we could and people are like oh they're so naive they did everything they could and I'm like but did you ask them what they did right well they said it's it's a private family matter like how why no it's not this has become a public problem so yeah yeah. a a lot has been made of one of the things that I've heard said over and over again is this idea that the the family saying that um that David had a traumatic brain injury I think due to a car accident or something like that as a kid um and and it seems to me that they are insinuating that he can't be reasoned with or something to that effect what do you what do you make of that narrative that's been pushed around so yeah I mean if he was Okay, so first of all, just to be clear, he did suffer from a traumatic brain injury. Also, they hid it from me. I didn't know. They this happened sure before you met him? Before I met him as a teenager. They make sure that, so I'm just saying, like, for them to go claim that, they leave out the part where, like, I didn't know about it. Um, they make sure that they're, obviously, we could have done better research, but, like, they're they're very skilled at making sure it stays hidden. All the references they put down, you know, on their resumes are people who will defend them and are loyal to them. And so I literally, I knew he was in car accident. Like I thought like he hurt his leg. Like I literally had no idea. Um, I found his paperwork after I was married to him for a few years. um, And I already had two kids and (coughs) excuse me. And um, yeah, you know, I was already stuck by then. Um, And I, I mean, I think at the time, you know, it was, seems to be, it was probably, you know, moderate to severe brain injury, but, um, you know, he went back to yeshiva, he dated, he had friends, he was, you know, very functional, he learned, I mean, they sent him off to Israel, like, I think a year later, so clearly they sent him off on his own, it's not like he was someone who had to stay home and couldn't date, um, you know, when I found out and I read it, suddenly everything made sense and I was like oh okay yeah like you know he has this symptom and that system and like okay like once you read the symptoms it's like I see how he really like that's probably why he has so many sort of like you know mental health problems but it's not like like they're making it sound like at at all he's really smart he lives on his own right now um he is so skilled at um, you know, hiring lawyers and figuring out ways to delay court again and again and again. Um, yeah, I mean, he's... Do you he, think that he's the one figuring that out or that other members of his family are doing that? Like, do you think that he's capable of masterminding everything, like all of the hoops that you've had to jump through for this past decade? Um, he's definitely really smart. He knows how to research things really well. Um, and yeah, he's definitely very good at researching, educating himself, but it it has been to a level that I do believe. And, you know, I have some knowledge that he has been getting advice from people in the industry, shall we say, 
you know, rabbis, Zayanim, people who, who know the ins and outs and allegedly have been hired by people in the family um, to advise David on how to give a gat, but also seemingly he gets some really great advice on how to delay court over and over and over again. Ugh. Okay. Um, the how I, let's talk for a second about about the this interplay between like the rabbinic court, the based in, and the secular court. You mm-hmm. like you said towards the beginning, you were kind of shuffled around from different, you know, from basin to basin. They issued their serum, and then they were like, "We wrote the letter. There's nothing that we can really do more than that." Um, and then you eventually started pursuing this in secular court. Um, and to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the avenue for this is through child support, meaning you can't like you can't take someone to court for not issuing a get because of the separation of church and state. Get abuse is not recognized as um, as the domestic abuse that it is um, in the U.S. So you've been basically suing him for unpaid child support with the stated. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell yeah, you. fill me in. How does yeah, this work? So, okay, so I went. I so about. Four and a half years ago, when things really weren't working, my custody was settled, Basin wasn't working, family wasn't helping, working against me, whatever. Um, I was advised by, you know, I, I was advised, like, you got to go back to court, forget family court, you have to go to Supreme Court and file for divorce. Now, when you file for divorce in New York State, it includes settling your assets slash child support. That's just how it works. Um, And so um, in addition, you're really settling your marriage. And the truth is, even though there's not the exact laws that we want right now, um, I will give the courts credit in New York. They know all about this. They're very educated um, and, and holding, barring someone from remarriage is something you're not allowed to do. Happens to be that I have a religious judge and, um, you know, he's been great. Unfortunately, the court system is so slow. We had COVID come in between. I started in 2019. And um, David Wasserman is just, his delay tactics are insane. Like he gets a new lawyer and then you have to do new dates and or he files for like unemployment and then you have to wait for the paperwork or like he it's just crazy like he and every time you hire a lawyer like it gets delayed by literally a few months because now the lawyer's like okay well I need time to review the paperwork like um so it just has dragged on for years and years and he's been following recently like there was a warrant for his arrest and then he he you know um filed an appeal and then he filed for a stay order it's just it's like endless and you can't do this without resources without know-how um it's it's just not like that you know like at this point it's like okay like he's getting help from somewhere and you know when it comes to the family it's just like you got you got to figure it out like he's not doing it all on his own like this doesn't take a rocket scientist to put two and two together here exactly we don't need to tell you one plus one equals two like you know i get this all the time people are just like how do you know and i'm just like here are the facts he's living in an apartment right now twenty one hundred dollars a month driving a car going to 7-eleven getting coffees multiple times per day paying for gas car insurance um lawyers uh excessive filing fees to file like i had to he filed an appeal i had to then get an appeals attorney give a new five thousand dollar retainer he had to do that too like Where's the money coming from? He ordered emergency quick transcripts from the 
three days before that cost, I don't know, probably five to $800. Like, you know, it's just, um, help is coming from somewhere. And when siblings are like, but we're not involved, we haven't spoken to him in three years. It's like, well, someone in your family is to figure out who that's your responsibility, you know? Um, but anyway, back to your question, um, you were saying, so yeah, so you could file, you could file for, so I filed for divorce, which I was telling you, I also don't have divorce papers. If that includes, um, you know, your financials, we don't have any assets. So for me, it was just child support and, um, yeah, you know, yeah, now he owes me child support. And then I could say like, well, actually I'd really love a get. So if you want, um, I'll forgive the child support money. And you could sign a get and a divorce and we could all move on with our lives. And like, you know, the judge said, like, sir, like, please do a favor for yourself and your family. And, um, you know, to, to the, you, you need to end your marriage. That pisses me off. Like, supremely, that pisses me off because you Which are- part? But all of it, but, but mainly the, the part of it that specifically pisses me off is that the child support that you are trying to settle, you are entitled to, you have been taking care of your three kids by yourself for a decade and they have half his DNA. So the fact, like the fact that you need to give that up, essentially that the, that your that's your only leverage. The fact that you need leverage is. No, it's horrible. I was on, um, you know, frustrating beyond. It's horrible. It's, it's the, the landscape for divorce in, you know, I think really in many communities, but definitely in the Jewish community and religious community, it's it's horrible. And I was talking on, I was on Barry Mitzman's podcast um, yesterday and I was telling her that like, you know, I used to look around at all these divorced women and I'd be like, why are they all struggling so much? And then I realized they all gave up something, something big people give up massive things like their homes and their children. And then people just give up small, smaller things like child support, their community, their friends, their jobs. For some reason, people's jobs get threatened. Um, I don't know. Sometimes their belongings, like people just lose such big things or get treated so poorly in the divorce process that they just, they can't, they can't, you know, right. What has all of this, what has this process been for like for you? financially it's been very difficult like I you know work very hard to support myself and my children but then there are like massive expenses like tuition and um attorney's fees and like I need help with it it's 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 just it's it's so much and every year like I think like oh my gosh I'm gonna make more money and then they you know the kids get older and then expenses like practically double like especially now like forget it like food doubled in the past year so um it's just it's a lot and then this is a full-time job so like you know, as hard as I work, I am always constantly like taking off days and like right now, like literally weeks um, to work on this. And so then, you know, my work suffers and it's just, it's an impossible uphill battle. Right. I can only imagine how all consuming dealing with, dealing with this sort of super important legal issue that literally affects your entire life and your children's lives, how that it, like you said, it's, it's more than a full-time job. It's this whole other piece that you need to, to take on. Yeah, I always say like I have three full time jobs, like regular work, you know, being a single mother, and then uh, and and this, and it really is. It's more than a full time job. It's it's insane. I, uh, you, 
you have court again on Monday. We're recording this Thursday night. So you very well might be in court when someone is listening to this now. What do you think? Do, like, do you, because as an outsider, when you had um, a couple of weeks ago, when it was like, if he, he can either like pay the child support, give the get or get arrested. Like those are the options for today. And then none of those things happen. Like this, this warrant was issued and then he appealed and he stayed. Well, well, he didn't show up. Right. So that that could be an option. And so he didn't show up. And because he didn't show up, an arrest couldn't be made on the spot. Um, And so instead a warrant was issued for his arrest. He was found, uh, I think two days later. Um, But within those, you know, 24, 48 hours, whatever it was, I don't remember exactly he had his attorney file an appeal. And then in addition to the appeal, he had his attorney file a state order, which means that while we're waiting for the appeals court to look, to review this case and make sure that they agree with everything that the judge said, which is you got to go to jail, um, that we should stay, we should pause, we have to wait. Um, Now, that got partially denied. And they were like, well, yeah, like, we're not just going to wait now until this appeal is reviewed, because that takes us months. In the meantime, you got to listen to the judge, but we'll give you another 12 days. Also, we'll cut it in half. Instead of 96000 you only need to pay $48,000. Um, and so we had another 12 days. That was up on Tuesday. He didn't pay the $48,000. Um, and so, you know, when Tuesday was over, um, we were in touch with the judge again and he gave us a new appearance for monday at 10 30 um and so now that his stay order you know the stay order expired he made additional requests and since then he made another request today um but they weren't honored so far he hasn't come up with the money so far so um you know i'm hoping that he shows up to court on monday like with a get or with that would be fabulous. Um, I but it doesn't have, sound like that's what you think is going to happen. Um, right. So, I mean, I always, by the way, like have Diana Moncal available, like in the, in the city where we are, um, you know, if he changes his mind and he just caves at the moment, gets cold feet from going to jail, um, you know, that that's always an offer that we have on the table. Um, and and the judge, the judges work with us, which is amazing. And, um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, I, if he doesn't want to give a get and he feels like he wants to go to jail instead, which is really sad and unfortunate for me and my kids and our family, um, then it is my hope that, you know, being in jail and from what I hear, it's really uncomfortable. Um, you know, maybe he's saying that he's fine going to jail, but um, you know, I hope he'll use that time to really consider that I'm not coming back and I'm not keeping his children from him. He could spend all his time and his energy visiting his children, um, you know, during his time instead of, you know, dreaming that I'm coming back to live with him. Does he, do you think that he still thinks that you are still in a relationship? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he definitely, he thinks like, this is one big mistake. I'm um, coming back. It was a misunderstanding. Things were really fabulous. Um, yeah, that is what he thinks. So I'm going to speculate for a moment. And I, I'll i say this, you didn't. 
it sounds to me that someone who can look at a situation where you have been separated for a decade or nearly a decade and are in court together and have repeatedly asked for a divorce and have repeatedly said, this is something that needs to happen. It seems to me like he is dealing with allegedly just to cover my own butt for a second, um, that he is allegedly dealing with some serious mental health issues. And that, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have called him delusional. Definitely seems delusional. Yeah, that would be the, the yes, that seems, what I just described sounds delusional. It sounds crazy. Yeah. So it really seems like what he needs is mental health support, intensive therapy. Very much. Absolutely. How do we, how do we make that happen? Um, you know, I'm of the opinion that he, um, I know the family loves to say we haven't spoken to them a while, which I believe because they've distanced themselves from him. He's difficult. Um, I, I get it. Um, but I think that, and I know that a lot of them are angry at each other and he's angry at them and they're angry at him. But I also know that he has commuted, communicated and seen some of his family members over the past year, whether it's his parents or some of his siblings. And they need to get him mental health help, 100%. High-level help. There is help out there. And this is, and, and, and really it sounds like the family, especially because they're assisting him financially, it seems like they are in the position to really compel him to get the intensive therapy, inpatient, outpatient, whatever type program he needs to be on to realize the reality of his situation. That has been my opinion for a very long time, yes. Do you think that he is capable of coming to that realization? Um, Do you think, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Do you think that if he realized that, he, that you were no longer in a relationship, because you're not in a relationship with him anymore. You're in, if, I mean, you're in a combative uh, you yeah. know, divorce, I mean, but yeah, you don't have I, a relationship. Do you think that if he realized that you were not in a relationship, he would sign the papers? Yeah, I actually don't think like he's not evil. He's not malicious. He's he's not like, like, I don't I I mean, it, you know, obviously, in some twisted way, he enjoys seeing me suffer. But also in some twisted way, he like literally is like, my wife, I need to take care of her, my children I need to take care of them. Like, he, um he, he's not like one of these, like, very, I, like, am I like, I don't think like, he's not one of these, like, malicious, like, crazy, crazy, crazy. he's literally just like, in such a bad mental place and delusional and just so sure like I was very good to him for many years and we have beautiful children and um you know I always made sure that our home was running and it was great and you know it's kind of like I I held everything up like I, I can see why he wants to go back to it you know and like um yeah I think like if we sort of was like broken down mentally in a way it's like all of a sudden you know where you have this moment of realization like this moment of truth kind of a thing um I, I do think he would sign the papers you know um yeah definitely it's yeah, it's it's so- I also um something else I want to mention. I um saw that Sarah Lassery went live today with um Adina Flappish Girl and I was watching. I, I didn't even know they were gonna do it. Um Sarah is such an advocate I've seen over the years. Um I I wanna like message her and thank her, but she said that 
she was dealing with a very similar situation. And it's just like the words that she uses, like you could tell, like, oh my God, she knows this, she's been through it. She knows the system. She knows how this could happen. And he said that basically there was one rabbi fighting for her at the end and he and her in-laws had a lot to lose. And he, they worked actually, I think she said they worked in the basin system and they were like, you know, rabbis and whatever. And they were, and he was just like, you're going to lose your positions. You're going to lose everything. I'm going to make sure I'm going to blast this. And she said, like, finally the family realized like, oh my God, this is serious. Within 24 hours, she had a guest. 24 mm -hmm. hours. And I'm like, this is what I've been saying that this could happen so quickly if our community takes a stand and this family understands we will not let you operate anymore as members of our community if you don't force your brother to give a gap literally just like figure it out i don't want to hear like you never saw him get in the car and drive to him and stand outside his house all 10 of you until he comes out and then put your arms around him and don't let him move. Like, I don't know. I don't care what you do and come with a team of a hundred professionals who won't let you out of that circle. Like it's, you know, and until you've done something like that, I don't want to hear you've done everything you could. And the fact that like people are just like, but what did the rabbis say? And like, but are you allowed to? And it's just like, I have a stock now of Kfia because people are always like, but are you allowed to? I have a psakfia that says you're allowed to force this man to give a get. Explain, explain to me the what a, a what a psakfia is and, and what how that affects how people should be reacting to the family at large. Under certain circumstances, when it's very difficult and a man won't show to be sin and or or not even won't show to be sin, but he um in my case, he wouldn't show to be sin. I'm just gonna speak on my case. Sure. Um, there is, um, you know, there is room and um, there's room to say that to, to rule, right, to give up stock and to rule, a basin can rule and hold a trial and say, we can force this man to give a get. We can use any legal means to force this man to give a get. By so legal, I, you mean U.S. legal, like you can't. Correct. Like, we live in him. the U.S. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He deserves um, to be smacked, allegedly, whatever. But like. But, no but you, comment. Whatever. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> that might be my favorite thing you've said all night. Um, yeah, I said but, it, um, Basically, right, right, right. Yeah, so basically um, they, so I held a Dentora like this. It was very unique because he refused to come. It was held without him there. And um, the basin heard my trial. I brought multiple witnesses who knew both of us when we were married. Um, and they said, you may force a gap. Now, forcing a gap, there's many different ways to do it. Like you said, back in the day, people used to use physical, um, you know, type people used to beat people up, right? Nobody does that anymore. It's not legal. It's not okay. But um, there are different ways to force a gap. Now, one might say, um, if you put enough, you know, communal pressure on a family member, maybe they will be compelled um, to go force their brother to give a get. And so that would fall under forcing a get. Jail time falls under that also. Right. 
when a man goes to jail and then you do, you say, well, I'll let you out of jail if you give a get. That's also considered a form of force. And so, you know, I I have a fact in that um, it will be a kosher get, a force. So um, basically we are pretty much as a community, we are all obligated to do everything that we can to make this get happen. And it sounds like the people who are in the best position to make that get happen are his immediate family members. And therefore, following that line of logic, as a community, we basically need to say to the extended Wasserman family that you are not welcome here until you figure out how to make David give this get. Yeah, we need to do it with, you know, so many, so much power and so many people and so much passion that um, our rabbis and our leaders also get involved and support the people because um right now you know many rabbis are just afraid to touch divorce they say they are not educated on the laws of Gitan. um they say they are not uh big enough to be the one to do something it's like there's no leader in america i ask people all the time no matter how from you are who is the who is the god in america who is the leader there isn't one Right. Nobody, nobody has a good answer. We're like, well, maybe him. I'll be like, nope, not accepted by that community. Well, maybe him. Nobody cares about him over there. And so you have to ask yourself if there are no leaders um, and there's nobody to take a stand and to support something like this and to say as a community, just like all the rabbis came out and said, as a community, we should have kosher phones or, you know, not go on social media or we should have, um, you know, Takana's weddings or we shouldn't wear lace wigs. When it comes to divorce, the rabbis are not willing. It's controversial. It's political. Divorce has two sides um, and they don't want to get involved. And then it's like, so, so who's our real big leader? And it's like, there isn't anyone. Um, right. there's, there's not, there's no one who's willing to put themselves out there and to make that declarative statement and then stand by it. Right. And then when people have to realize, and when people say to me, but where's your rabbis? But who are you supporting you? How come our rabbis are not telling us what to do? Call the rabbis. You will see. They will either say, I don't know anything about this if they are nice and very humble, um, which is horrible. Like, go learn about it. Go learn. Make a, make a colo. I don't know. Hire someone. Like, you know. Um, or they will say, well, divorce is very complicated. You shouldn't get involved. That really, really hurts me. Like, really? I, I, and I don't mean personally, like, that hurts my cause. That makes a community not support me. And that makes a community allow the Wasserman family to just go on with their lives. And then some Rabbanim will say, yeah, you should help her. But it's too hard for me. I can't get involved. And it's just like, you think that's a leader? And you want to say this is not a communal problem? You're not allowing this to happen? You're letting your leaders tell you, I know nothing about this. You should help, but I can't help. Or actually, you should stay away. Yeah, that sucks. And it's also, it's, it's the biggest cop out. It's it's the biggest it's it's like it's brushing your hands of the matter and it's it's just refusing for nobody is 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 stepping up to take the responsibility. Yeah, and that's why I think like it's really up to the people when you need real change, you know, like I don't know, like Judaism does not mean we're supposed to idolize leaders. That is not how it works. 
Um, you know, um, Judaism doesn't mean that you that you follow people blindly. Um, I think, you know, it's it's very shocking. Like I keep telling to people, like, they were like, well, what does this rabbi think of it? And I'm like, you know what? Why don't you call him and ask him? And the way some of these, the reports that I am having come back, the way rabbis are speaking to people, some of them are yelling, some of them are lying. And it's like really respectable people. And it's just shocking. Like, I don't even want to believe that. And but I'm starting to tell people like, call your rabbi and then like, be smart, really listen to what they're saying. Like, are they saying, like, are they saying, I don't know anything about this? Well, why don't you ask him to give a share on it and study it so your community can learn about it? Why don't you send them a copy of the Psaac that I have? By the way, I went to Israel because no one in America would do it. So I traveled to Israel during COVID, but got special visas. Um, why don't you send the Psaac to your rabbi and say, can we learn this together? Um, you know, and if they say you should help, but I can't, demand that they help. Like you're a community. They don't lead without their constituents. That's, that's not how leadership works. You have a responsibility. Right. L leaders only have as much power as we give them. And if exactly. we are willing to tolerate it, then they can continue to ignore the issue. Yeah, and people like get so mad and, and they're just like, but you're, it's not fair. You have to respect the rabbis. And it's just like, you know what? Like, you're right. We do have to respect our rabbinical leaders, but maybe let's take a close look and see who are our leaders. And don't just think that they're a leader because their name is on a paper. Like, why don't, why don't you like also use your own chachma, your own mind, your, what you know about Torah and Yiddishkeit? and speak to these people or I, I don't know like figure it out for yourself like I, I think like you're not supposed to follow blindly like that that is not Judaism something that I think people who have been following the case even loosely may have noticed is that you do not appear publicly you do not show your face in any of the videos or flyers or anything that have come out how did you feel about the idea of going public with this case as a whole? And and why did you limit it in that way? Talk to me about the give and take there. I'm a private person. I am not trying to be a public figure. I did not choose this. Um, this is not something that like I'm proud of and I want to shout from the rooftops. This is a horrible, sad story of a broken family. This is not my identity. This is not like, what I only do all day. Um, I also think that like, I, yeah, like I, I don't know, like this is, I don't want to only be known for this. I also feel like it's extremely sad and just disgusting and horrible to me to watch so many women over the years um, go on video and show their faces and their children go on videos and beg people for help and they're still chained and it's just so horrific so like why should I you're not like you're not helping me how is it going to help me because you want to see me because you want to know if I look like it's someone that it could have happened to you or to your sister like why do you need to see me like I just I don't know like I feel like it almost like negates the purpose like this is and I also feel like it's almost like 
people want to shift the responsibility from themselves to me. And it's like, well, you should show up. People need to know who you are. And it's like, really? Why doesn't the community show up? Like, like how many times should I show up? I show up everywhere all the time to every rabbi, to every meeting, to every askan, to every court date. Um, you know, like, no, actually, like the community needs to show up and support me. I absolutely cannot do this alone. And just because you see a video of me, that doesn't guarantee your support. Um, that guarantees, you know, that I'll be a sensation wherever I go, I'll be recognized and I won't have any privacy. And wherever my kids go, they would say, oh, is that your mother? And then they don't have privacy. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't want that to be stolen from me also. Yeah. And, and you don't, you shouldn't have to. And in a way, I'm so like, I'm so happy for you that you haven't done that because up and now I know what you look like, but up until this point, cause we're on zoom now and we can see each other. But up until this point, if I had passed you in the street, like if I had passed you in Manhattan, it would have just been like the awkward half nod that from people give each other when they see each other in like where there's not a lot of from people around. Like that's it. I wouldn't have known anything about who you were and the fact that you get to you are entitled to be able to move on from this, even if it's only for a minute to go to the grocery store and not have everybody know who you are. Yeah, I mean, we're Jewish people. We are nosy. Everybody looks at you wherever you go. And so it's true. just like you, we all go to the same places and it's just like, you literally can't hide. And it's just like, I need to be normal when I go to my kids' school and work and meetings and just like the grocery store and friends' houses. And it's just like, I don't need to just be that girl wherever I go. Like, it's just, if you know me, like I live a full life and I enjoy my life. And like, it's just like, I'm not running around all day being like, I'm trying to get the work, I'm trying to get the work, help, 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 like that. It's just not me. Like, I, I can't. Like, yeah. Right. And I've also realized, like, you know what? Like, this is my threshold. Everyone's always like, how do you do it? I would have run away by now. It's like, you know what? I, by having my privacy, like, I'm just a normal person. And, you know, and even like having my name out there is enough. It's just, oh my God, it's horrible. Why are you still from? <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. Uh, You've gotten yeah, basically yeah. no community support up until this point. You've gotten very little, right. I should say, community yeah, support. No, really, I have to say, I know there are so many wonderful people and really every single person, I'm like, I see you, I hear you. It is so heartwarming. Um, and really like even, you know, in all the darkness, like each little spark is, is really so, so appreciated by me and my family. Um, but yeah, people ask me that all the time. And you know what I say? That's a cop out. Also, you want to say to me, just don't be religious. I'm like, why? Then you're off the hook. Mm. You know, it's the same exact thing. So you're telling me I should have to leave my family and my 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 family and my home and my kids schools and all the people surrounding me that I love. Not that like I'm actually leaving my family, but like, you know, like you leave your place and what you go move out to Timbuktu and then you meet someone and like, oh my God. And now I'm just the happiest person ever. If anyone ever tried to be happy, everybody knows that's not how happiness works. That is not how inner peace works. Um, and, and like that, that won't make me happy. And you know what, like you said, like the term messy divorce, I, no matter what culture you're in. I am going through a messy divorce. You do not start a new relationship when you're in a messy divorce. Like at the end of the day, that's what it is. Like I don't have divorce papers. I don't have child support. 
I'm in a crisis. And even if I try to leave this behind, like it just, it doesn't work that way. It, it, it just really doesn't. And, and yeah, I think that's a cop out from people. Like, what are you saying to me? I should leave my own values, my own beliefs that I grew up in. Like, I believe that God gave us a Torah and he said, there's a day of rest and rest on Shabbos and eat kosher foods. Like, I don't know, like, like you're saying, like, it, it, it makes no sense. I'm sorry. It's a silly thing to say if you really you're think right. about it. Frame, frame that way. You're right. It's a, it, it is a cop out. It 100% is. It's like, well, listen, if she can't do everything to, you know, get the divorce, then I guess she'll just have to like find some guy to live with somewhere. And like, that'll just be it. And like, that's how she'll find. Oh, and I'm sure like, happiness. I'll relate to, I'll relate to them so well, because we have such shared, you know, values, you know, like literally life values. Like, like, I think that's the thing about um, like Judaism, like, people think like you're so boxed in like well if you put yourself in boxes you are but really it's 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 beautiful and um like i've been saying wherever i go it's the jews not the judaism it's our community and the you know our leaders and the boxes that we impose on ourselves and people just want to run around saying oh the people on podcasts and social media and all these influencers they're horrible they're saying horrible things about rabbanim oh but like it's just her like no, 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 there's hundreds of women like this. And for every person that is not an Aguna, there's probably a thousand people. There must be um, thousands of people right now, I would estimate, like, I don't know, 10 or 20,000 people probably right now in the Jewish community all over the world trying to get divorced and they are getting absolutely screwed over like in some way, right. male, female, children, whatever it is. And there is no... Um, there's no like sort of way in our community to there are very few resources to go about this um you know in, in a good way and because the basement system is such a mess even if people settle the, their divorce in two three four years which is considered normal like why that's such a long time that is not normal um you know it's like there's be, people it, it is allowed to go on for so long like going through a divorce for three years is only normal because there's not a normal system in place. So then it just felt everything just lets everyone fight right. for so long. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. Like, because we've normalized the fact that like divorce takes a while, it allows it to take a while and it becomes that much harder to recognize abusive situations or, or get refusal situations or, you know, potential for get refusal situations. And so also people just, I always say like somebody dies, like, unfortunately it's very sad. There, there's a fundraiser, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, everyone wants to give millions of dollars. Everyone feels so bad. It's so tragic. Everybody wants to get rid of their grief. And it's just like divorce. Oh, there's two sides that can't help. Like literally, like right. a woman told me, she's like, yeah, like no one will have me for a Shabbos meal. I'm like, what are you talking about? They, she's like, no, they said that if they invite me for a Shabbos meal, then they're taking my side. I'm like what? So a woman should be home alone with four kids because you're afraid to take sides? And, and let alone that like one Shabbos meal invite does not a wholehearted taking sides make like it's just that's just not that's ludicrous yeah yeah I see this all the time it's it's crazy I'm curious you must get a lot of people who like start telling you their horror stories and <laughs> especially recently like how has that been for you well really I mean it's great I don't get recognized in public so it's like only good people. point <laughs> <laughs> thankfully um yeah, people do. People who know me or sometimes people will be like, my friend's going through something and she call me. Um, 
it definitely happens, not like a crazy amount. I try to be supportive and give people resources when I can. Um, and I always tell people like become strong, go for therapy, um, you know, um, find, find a good, surround yourself. That was the word I was looking for. Surround yourself with good people. Um, you know, and, and I try to really just like, people just need you to listen and give them love and validation. And, and even that, you know, could a, a little advice, like I try to like advise here and there. And sometimes people come back to me and be like, Oh my gosh, you really helped me. Like, you know, I went in the right direction. Um, I try. Yeah. I, I totally hear that. Tell me something about yourself that has nothing to do with this. Let's talk about, let's talk about Nahama, the person outside of this, because you are a mom, you have a, a full-time job, you have so many other interests. And, and I'd love to talk about something not related to this terrible situation you find yourself in. Well, well, you reached out through Barry today and I saw that you have a fashion page and I love fashion. I was very interested in that. It's so cool. I wanted to hear more about like, what you do and then today you're like hey wait like my factory I'm like what you have a factory like <laughs> what do you do so I I have a clothing line and I design modest pieces that are available in sizes 2 through 24 soon to be 28 um, I'm in the That's process so of expanding cool. the size line and I produce everything here in New York City so I tomorrow I am going to the factory to you know deal with some stuff that's happening over that there and so just make sure that everything is great yeah so it's it is it's a fun gig I'm not I'm not going to lie, but how, how did you get like interested in fashion just in how you dress or is it part of all I just, what you do? Yeah. I don't know. My grandmother always laughs at me. She's like, you were born into the wrong life. Like I, I just like love nice things and fashion. And like, I definitely try to just like, like one of my things is always like finding things that look expensive. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. a shirt for a shirt for $20 that looks like it has that $150 look or like a pair of like hundred dollar shoes that look like they may have been 500 or a bag for a hundred bucks that kind of looks a little designer. Like, I don't know. Um, what, what are your tricks for that? How do you go about like finding those steals that look a lot more expensive than they are? I think it's not so much a steal, but more like an eye for like, well, look around what's trending. What are people wearing? What are the high end looks this season? And then finding, you know, going on to cheaper sites like Zara, Zappos. Um, I don't know, like, Nordstrom whatever and finding things that like have that look um but not not the price point right even if they don't necessarily have the feel or like the quality level but the, you can like kind of get away with having them you know yeah give yeah that impression and mm -hmm. I have to say you are dressed very cute right now while I'm practically you, in my you literally like can't see me um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but thank you I will I will verify for the audience that Nahama looks very cute right now that's all thank you need to know you. Wow. This has been, this has been really an honor, an honor and a privilege um, to speak with you. And like I said, I hate that we met under these circumstances because I feel like a beautiful friendship is about to be born. Like, I feel like we get along, we would get along. 100%. Great, you know? And usually like everyone I speak to is like in Muncie or like, you know, Lakewood or Barry's all the way in Vegas, but you're pretty close by. New so. York city girls. We got to figure out yes. a time to do dinner once. It'll be yeah, great. Yeah, um, if what, what for people listening, who are as pissed off as I am and maybe generally feeling like, what can we do? What, what, are, what are the things that we need to do right now that can help your situation, help Agunas at large? Like, what are the things that you need? What do you need from us? So I think like people, first of all, need to understand and admit to themselves, this is a community problem. Once you admit that, 
talk to anyone who you can about it and educate yourself so you can talk about it. Um, there is a moveon.org petition where there is a lot of information listed. There are updates on my case. There is a stock with a certified English translation, which is like so cool. And I think, it is. <laughs> and, um, and read it. And then literally the whole Torah is online. If you have a question about Gitten, like literally Google it. Um, or also follow Kayla Goldstein questioning the answer. She has so many highlights. She does so much on this topic. Um, but anyways, if you don't want to do that much work, um, share the link to the petition. Um, we have about, I think, close to 9,000 signatures. It should have 30,000, 50,000. Um, follow the story and talk about it and share it. Um, more than that, I would say, like, you could get involved also by, if you know the family or any rabbi connected to the family, um, give them a call. We, I really want them to hire help, mental, a mental health professional to help David. Like, I want him to be well. I don't want their money. I don't want him to go to jail. I want him to be well. It would be really nice for my kids if they don't have this history of their father being in jail. It's absolutely horrific. Nobody enjoys it. Um, and, and I would say also like, just speak to your rabbi and say, how are you getting involved in this global issue? You know, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it needs to be tackled. I, I really think like I see a world in like, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, like we're not going to have this big divorce problem. We're not going to have this Aguna problem. And it's just going to be because the community said we had enough rabbis, leaders. What are we doing? You know, we have to step um, up. We have to, we have to yeah. step up and compel them to act. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nahama, what does it mean to you to make an impact? Oh, um, I mean, fashion impacts are so fun. My impact, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, hmm, make an impact. You know, I always think like, it's funny because I'm really here talking about like changing the world. Um, and in a way, I used to like think like, oh, like, you know, change the world, do these big, great things, become famous, like make so much money. And like recently, I've just like learned, I'm like, just, like be a happy person yourself with, you know, inner peace and extend that to the people around you and be healthy and build a beautiful family, whatever that means to you. And just be kind and nice to the people around you. Like, I, I feel like make an impact just yourself, your own family and the people around you, a, a positive impact. I feel like if everyone focused on that, like the world would be a better place and we wouldn't have communal issues, you know? I could not agree more. Thank you so much for coming on today, Nahama. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you're a regular listener of the show, you'll know that I don't usually do this, but I wanted to share some of my own thoughts and reflections on Nahama's situation. As we mentioned during our conversation, this episode is airing on Monday, July 3rd, and I spoke with Nahama only the Thursday before. I'm recording this afterward on Sunday because all weekend there is one thought that I cannot get out of my head. Nobody was looking out for Nahama Wasserman. Nobody truly had her best interests in mind. Not when she married David, 
not when she settled a custody agreement without signing divorce papers, civil or a get. For two of the most pivotal decisions a person can make, who to marry and how to divorce, she was alone. And that's our fault. As a community, we have decided that it is simpler to pretend abuse is not occurring rather than confront it head on. We tolerate an environment of complicit silence so as not to rock the proverbial boat. We have created a situation where the most vulnerable among us, orphans the Torah obligates us to protect, can be taken advantage of in the sneakiest of ways. The good news is that while we made this problem, we can also be its solution. Like Nachama said, call your rabbis. Ask them what they're doing to confront get abuse. Ask them if they have a standard divorce procedure and what their processes are for recognizing get refusal. Respectful but firm conversations with leaders can make it crystal clear that we as a community no longer stand for this behavior. And if there is a serum against someone, honor it. When that initial Basin told Nahama they had no power, they weren't lying. These systems only work if we as a community enforce them. As a review, someone who has a serum against them cannot be counted in a minion and should not be allowed in shul. You cannot do business with them or have a social connection with the recalcitrant individual. Finally, if anyone from the extended Wasserman family is listening, I want you to know that I do not envy the situation you are in. I'm sure that this ordeal has taken its toll on you to a level that perhaps only Nahama understands. Having your dirty laundry aired in this way must be profoundly humiliating, and I'm sorry that it has to come to this. And also, you are in the best position to end this suffering. You, the extended Wasserman family, can help David realize that his marriage was over nine years ago when Nahama left. You can enlist mental health professionals to help him grapple with what I'm sure is a tough pill to swallow. I'm sure these past nine years have been difficult for you, and you have it in your power to make it all stop. To David, I'm sorry your marriage didn't work out, but it's over. There is no relationship left. Sign the papers and you'll be able to move on with your life. Do yourself and your kids a favor and just give Nahama a get and a divorce. Thank you for listening. The link to the petition is in the show notes. Signing and sharing it is a simple way you can help Nahama. On the last episode, I went solo to share the process behind the creation of the wrap dress, a faux wrap dress with a full coverage neckline. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, a clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are currently available in sizes 2 through 24 and soon up to size 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 18 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzwitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.